Welcome to Precious Pearls Ministries Radio, where we share the blessed Bible and the blessed hope. I am Sister Dana Carter, your host. Thank you for taking the time to listen in today. I am blessed by your faithfulness to this podcast, but most of all, I am blessed by your faithfulness to our Lord Jesus Christ. Please continue to pray for this ministry and station to continue to share the gospel. If you like prayer, please email me at Precious Pearls Ministries Radio at rcrnetwork.com. We are on the Resilient Christian Radio Network on a worldwide stage for our Lord Jesus Christ. This is all to his glory. First off, today I would just like to um, start off with a song, and it's called Jesus Saves. We sing this a lot at our church, and I love it. It's a song that's in my church hymnal. I have a lot of hymnals. Excuse me. I have a lot of hymnals, and I really enjoy singing to the Lord and for the Lord's glory. Jesus saves us a song. We have heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Spread the gladness all around. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Bear the news to every land. Climb the steeps and cross the waves. Onward is our Lord's command. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, wafted on the rolling tide. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, tell to sinners far and wide. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, sing ye islands of the sea. Echo back ye ocean caves, earth shall sing her jubilee. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, sing above the battle strive. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, by his death and endless life. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, sing it softly through the gloom. When the heart for mercy craves, sing in triumph o'er the tomb. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, give the winds a mighty voice. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, let the nations now Rejoice, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, shall salvation full and free, highest hill and deepest caves, this our song of victory, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Praise the Lord, Jesus saves. That is why um, he came to die for us. Romans 5, 8. I am so thankful that Jesus loved me and you enough to come here to die for us. We are now today continuing part two 
of the fundamentals of our faith in God. Today, we're going to begin talking about the deity of Christ. Every true Christian believes that Jesus Christ was God manifest in human flesh. The scriptures teach that a person who claims to be a Christian but does not believe that Jesus is God is a deceiver and an antichrist. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. That's in 2 John 7. The distinguishing mark of a Christian as opposed to an unbeliever is that a Christian believes that Jesus Christ is God and the Savior of the world. The virgin birth of Jesus Christ proves the Lord Jesus to be God in human flesh. Jesus Christ was the only person in human history to be born of a virgin. Hundreds of years before his birth, the Old Testament prophesied that Jesus should be born of a virgin. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. In the New Testament, Christ's miraculous birth is recorded in Matthew and Luke. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found the child of the Holy Ghost. Matthew chapter 1, 18. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Luke chapter 1, verses 34 to 35. The fact that Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary is very important. Jesus was not an ordinary human being. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Thus, Jesus was God manifest in human flesh. Certain so-called Christian professors teach that Jesus was not born of a virgin because such a thing is naturally impossible. They contradict the scriptures and reveal their own wicked unbelief. If we deny the virgin birth of Christ, then we are rejecting the authority of the Bible. We are indeed repudiating the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, he is not the Son of God. If Jesus is not the God, we have no Savior, and the Bible is false. The person who denies the virgin birth of Christ is not a Christian, but an infidel. The miracles of Jesus prove him to be God. No one in history of mankind except Jesus Christ performed such wonderful miracles. Jesus turned water into wine, caused fishermen to catch huge drops of fish, cast demons out of people, and healed all kinds of disabilities. Jesus healed the most difficult and incurable diseases. Lepers, paralytic, blind, lame, deaf and dumb, all were instantaneously and miraculously healed. There was no case too hard for Jesus. He not only healed people of their diseases, he even raised people from the dead. One of his greatest miracles was feeding 5,000 people with only five loaves and two fishes. The miracles Jesus performed cannot be explained from a human viewpoint. They can only be explained by accepting the scriptural doctrine that Jesus was God in human flesh. The words of Jesus manifest his deity. No one ever spoke like Jesus spoke. Anyone with an unprejudiced mind will recognize that the words spoken by Jesus were the very words of God. This was the attitude of Peter when he said to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. John chapter 6, 68. 
Jesus claimed to be one with God the Father and claimed the authority to give eternal life to all who came to him. Either Jesus was God or he was the greatest liar and blasphemer that ever lived. The names of Jesus manifest his deity. Jesus, the very word Jesus, declares the deity of Christ. Jesus in the Hebrew language means Jehovah is salvation. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew 1, 21. Christ, the word Christ, refers to his deity. Christ in the Greek language means the anointed one. Christ is not only the anointed king of Israel, but he is the king of kings and lord of lords. Lord. In the New Testament, Jesus is called Lord. Jesus is the Lord of all men. We must not doubt the deity of Jesus Christ, as did the disciple Thomas. Thomas doubted that Jesus was truly risen from the dead. Thus, Thomas doubted the deity of Jesus Christ. Finally, with his own eyes, Thomas saw the resurrected Christ. For the first time, he truly believed, and he exclaimed, My Lord and my God. Son of God. In the New Testament, Jesus is also called the Son of God, which means that Jesus is equal with God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Mark 1.1. God. The Apostle John declared Jesus is the true God and eternal life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus has the authority to forgive men's sins. Only God has the authority to forgive men's sins. If Jesus was not God, he was the greatest deceiver in the history of the world. Jesus claimed to forgive the sins of men. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Mark chapter 2 verse 5. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. Luke chapter 7 verse 48. Jesus has the authority to forgive our sins because he is God. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. Acts chapter 13, verse 38. Upon the condition of true repentance, Christ removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. The name of Jesus Christ, coupled together with that of God the Father, declares his deity. The reason why the names of Jesus and God the Father are coupled together in the New Testament is because Jesus the Son is God, even as the Father is God. The apostles coupled together the names of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1 verse 7. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 11. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting James chapter 1 verse 1. Jesus declared that he was one with God. I and my Father are one. John chapter 10 verse 30. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. John chapter 14 verse 1. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. John chapter 14 verse 23. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. John chapter 17 verse 3. 
Old Testament prophecies prove Jesus Christ to be God. One of the greatest proofs that Jesus is God is the many Old Testament prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. These prophecies were written hundreds of years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. However, every one of these Old Testament prophecies was literally fulfilled. Number one, Jesus should be born in Bethlehem. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Secondly, Jesus should be born of a virgin. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Number three, infants should be slain in Bethlehem. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Jeremiah chapter 31, 15. This was fulfilled during Jesus' babyhood when King Herod, in his wrath, slew all the infants in Bethlehem and the localities nearby. Number four, Jesus should flee into the land of Egypt. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Hosea chapter 11 verse 1. This was fulfilled when Joseph and Mary with the infant Jesus fled into Egypt to escape the wrath of Herod. Number five, the ministry of Jesus should be preceded by a prophet. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5. This prophecy was fulfilled in the person of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus. Number 6. Jesus should be rejected by his own nation, Israel. The 53rd chapter of Isaiah graphically prophesies that Jesus would be silent before his accusers, his enemies would smite and spit upon him, and that he would be hated without a cause. This same prophecy teaches that Jesus should die for the sins of others. All these details were literally fulfilled when Christ was crucified on the cross. Number seven, the hands and feet of Jesus should be pierced. They pierced my hands and my feet. Psalms 22, verse 16. Number eight, Jesus should be given gall and vinegar while he was dying. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Psalms chapter 69, verse 21. The Gospels record this event as being fulfilled when Jesus hung upon the cross. Number nine, the side of Jesus should be pierced, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. That's in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. This was fulfilled when a Roman soldier pierced the side of Jesus after he died on the cross. Number 10, lots should be cast for Christ's garment. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Psalms chapter 22, verse 18. This was fulfilled when Roman soldiers beneath the cross cast lots for the Savior's seamless robe. Number 11. Jesus should die without having any of his bones broken. 
He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Psalms chapter 34 verse 20. Soldiers broke the leg bones of the two malefactors on each side of Jesus to speed up their deaths. However, Jesus was already dead and the soldiers did not break his bones. This was also accomplished as a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. Number 12. Jesus should be buried in a rich man's tomb. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 9. This prophecy was literally fulfilled when Joseph of Arimathea took the body of Jesus and laid it in a new sepulcher. 13. Jesus should be resurrected from the dead. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Psalms chapter 16 verse 10. This prophecy was fulfilled three days after his crucifixion when Jesus rose from the dead. 14. Jesus should ascend to the right hand of the Father. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Psalm 68, 18. This prophecy was fulfilled after his resurrection when Jesus ascended into heaven. These are only a few of the many wonderful prophecies concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, which were miraculously fulfilled in his life. The fulfillment of these prophecies points to one great truth. Jesus Christ was truly God in human flesh. The resurrection of Christ from the dead proves Jesus to be God. The message of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest proof of all for the deity of Jesus Christ. Faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a condition of our salvation, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. Christ's resurrection from the dead absolutely demonstrates that he is God in human flesh. Faith in Christ's resurrection is a confession of his deity. No man can be saved unless he believes in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now we're also going to talk about the atonement of Christ. Because we need to know the fundamentals of the doctrine in the Bible. We need to know the fundamentals of our faith. The greatest event in the history of the human race was when Jesus Christ offered up his life in behalf of lost sinners on the cross of Calvary. Among all the events of the human race, the atonement of Jesus Christ has had the most powerful influence upon mankind. The atonement of Christ is of infinite importance to us all. Therefore, it's necessary that we thoroughly study and understand the meaning of Christ's atonement. From Genesis to Revelation, there is a red thread that goes through the entire Bible. It is the thread of the atonement, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. About that red thread, I kept a red thread in my wallet. I keep a red thread in my wallet just to remind me of his atonement, of his price that he paid for me. Whenever I get tempted to sin, I just pull out that red thread and I just remember his sacrifice for me. And that sin is an affront to God. He hates sin. He hates my sin. And he died to save me, not just from hell, but to save me from my sins. And I can choose not to sin. I will never 
in this side of my life become sinless, but I will continuously sin less by his power and by my submission to him. The meaning of the atonement in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language, the word for atonement is kafar, meaning cover. The same word is used for the mercy seat, which was the lid or cover to the Ark of the Covenant, which the children of Israel made in the wilderness. The Ark of the Covenant was overlaid with pure gold and the mercy seat, the cover to the Ark, was made of pure gold. The pure gold represented the infinite purity and wholeness of God. God is holy and he is the God of Israel. Inside the ark, the tables of the law, the Ten Commandments were placed. The high priest was allowed to enter through the veil and come into the inner sanctuary of the tabernacle once a year. This inner sanctuary was called the Holy of Holies. When he entered the Holy of Holies, the high priest was required to sprinkle blood upon the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. This sprinkled blood represented the blood of the coming Redeemer, Jesus Christ. The sprinkling of the blood upon the cover of the Ark of the Covenant, which enclosed the Ten Commandments, spoke of the fact that all men, all men have broken God's laws and need a blood atonement to cover their sins. In the New Testament, we have the Greek word catalytic for atonement. The word catalytic means reconciliation. It is found in Romans 5.11. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 to 20, the same word is used five times. In the New Testament, the meaning of atonement is clear. Namely, that mankind is reconciled to God by the death of the Jesus Christ as our substitute. The word atonement implies a substitutionary sacrifice on behalf of those who committed sin against God. We all have broken God's laws. In order for God to set aside the just penalty of the law, which is death, and forgive our sins, there must be a satisfactory substitute for the broken law. The law of God distinctly states, the soul that sinneth, it shall die, Ezekiel 18.4. Without a substitutionary sacrifice, God cannot pardon the sinner. But God himself graciously provided the substitutionary sacrifice in the person of his own dear son. The great truth of the atonement is clearly presented by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3, verse 26 to, I'm sorry, 23 to 26. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Though we are all sinners, God justifies us freely by his grace. The reason for God declaring us righteous is that he set forth Jesus Christ to be a propitiation for our sins. Propitiation signifies an offering to satisfy the requirement of the law that we have transgressed. When we put our faith in the atoning death of Jesus Christ, God's righteousness is demonstrated in that he sets aside the penalty of the law in our behalf and forgives all our sins.
Why was it necessary for Christ to die on the cross? The necessity of the atonement of Christ lies in the fact of man's total sinfulness. Without exception, the entire human race are sinners before God. All have broken God's laws. Our sins are infinite in magnitude because we have sinned against an infinite being, the creator of the universe and the Lord of heaven and earth. God is the ruler and owner of this universe. Billions of moral beings are under his rule. He is infinitely responsible to uphold the standards of his law and preserve order and justice throughout the universe. God cannot look any overlook any infractions of the moral law. If a person breaks any of God's laws, he must come under the condemnation of the law. The penalty for breaking the law of God is death. On the basis of the letter of the law alone, the soul that sinneth it shall die, God could justly send every one of us to hell forever. This is the just desert of the entire human race because we all have committed infinite sins against an infinitely holy God. While God is infinitely just, he is also infinitely merciful. However, God can only exercise mercy in a manner which will protect the holiness of his law and uphold the high standards of justice. The atonement of Christ was an absolute necessity without which God could not forgive our sins. There is a danger involved in setting aside the penalty of the law and forgiving sin in that it may beget the false idea that it is possible to commit sin and get away with it. For example, Suppose a man committed a robbery after being apprehended by the police. The man confesses his crime and expresses deep sorrow for what he did. Suppose on the basis of the man's confession and repentance alone, the governor set aside the penalty of the law, forgave the man his, his crime, and set him free. What is the danger involved in the governor's pardon of the criminal? The danger is in the fact that the governor's act of pardon will motivate others to commit criminal acts, thinking they too can sin and escape the penalty of the law. There is the danger that a pardon based only on confession and repentance will diminish the importance and value of obedience to the law in the eyes of men. When the standards of justice are lowered, people lose confidence in their government and the head of state. It is of infinite concern to God to exalt and uphold moral law since God is the lawgiver and the ruler of the universe. God requires that his moral law be honored, respected, and obeyed by all moral beings. Obedience to law is of the utmost importance in any government, and this is especially true in the great and vast government of God, which includes the entire universe. In order for God, as our righteous judge and ruler, to set aside the penalty of the moral law, which is eternal death, and forgive our sins, there must be a sufficiently great and valuable offering of atonement for the broken law and the crimes we have committed. There must be a holy, sinless substitute who is so great and exalted in his character that there can be no doubt that God intends to uphold and preserve the righteousness of his law. In the person of Jesus Christ, God was made manifest in human flesh and died as a substitute for our sins on the cross. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. That's our scripture for this ministry. 
the Lord Jesus Christ stepped down from his heavenly throne, was born of the Virgin Mary in a lowly manger in Bethlehem, and later died on the cross as our sin offering. This unselfish sacrificial act on the part of the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrates God's love toward us sinners and proclaims to the universe that God demands respect and obedience to his laws. This judge of the universe cannot condone sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. John chapter 3 verse 16. Not only God's great love but his infinite holiness and justice is demonstrated to all mankind by Christ's atonement on the cross. Jesus Christ paid the greatest possible sacrifice, the shedding of his precious blood in order for God to forgive our sins. Without shedding of blood is no remission, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 and 28. In the person of Jesus Christ, God gave himself as an offering for our sins, because without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin. God knows all things past, present, and future. When God created Adam and Eve, he foreknew their fall and also proposed mankind's atonement. Otherwise, God would not have created man in the first place. The scriptures speak of Jesus Christ as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. Though Jesus Christ died on the cross 2,000 years ago, in the eyes of God, he was slain from eternity. Prophecies and Types of Christ's Atonement in the Old Testament Throughout the Old Testament, there are many types and prophecies of Christ's atonement. These words were written hundreds of years before Christ was born into the world. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 is the first prophecy of the future atonement. God said to the serpent Satan, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. The seed of the woman is the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God goes on to say, it Christ shall bruise thy Satan's head and thou Satan shalt bruise his Christ's heel. This is a marvelous prophecy of the atoning death of Jesus Christ. The heel of Christ was bruised when he was nailed to the cross, but when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he bruised Satan's head, meaning Christ destroyed Satan's power and kingdom. The necessity of an atonement for sin was revealed to Adam and Eve after their sin in the Garden of Eden when God provided coats of skins to cover their nakedness. In this case, the shedding of the blood of animals was necessary in order to provide a covering for Adam's and Eve's sin and shame. In Genesis chapter 4, God revealed to Cain and Abel the necessity of atonement. God told Cain and Abel they must offer unto the Lord an animal sacrifice for their sins. Innocent blood must be shed by a substitute in order for their sins to be forgiven. Cain refused to offer unto God a sacrifice involving the shedding of blood. God could not accept Cain's offering. After ancient Noah's great deliverance from the flood that covered the earth, the first thing Noah did was to offer animal sacrifices unto God. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not curse the ground any more for man's sake. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20 and 21. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, man understood the necessity of atonement and offered animal sacrifices unto God. 
The Old Testament is a portrayal of the principles of atonement. The slain animal offerings were a type of the coming Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. Of course, it is not possible for the blood of animals to wash away men's sins. The blood of animals is not a sacrifice of sufficient value to remove the guilt of our sins. The offerings of animals were only a type of the coming Redeemer. Through an offering animal sacrifices, the Old Testament saints understood the importance of an atonement for their sins. The children of Israel under Moses and the law offer animal sacrifices as a type of the coming atonement of Christ. God taught the Israelites that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is in the blood, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11. Blood must be shed and life taken away when sin has been committed. It was therefore necessary for the most infinitely valuable life in the universe, the life of Jesus Christ himself, to be sacrificed in order for God to justly set aside the penalty of the law and forgive your sins and my sins. Wonderful prophecies of the Savior who should die for the sins of the world are found in many Old Testament passages of which Isaiah 53 and Psalms 22 are outstanding examples. When the Lord Jesus Christ walked this earth, he clearly knew that his purpose for coming into the world was to provide an atonement by his own death on the cross. All men are born in order that they might live, but Christ was born that he might die and become an offering for our sins. During his earthly ministry, Christ anticipated his death by repeatedly telling his disciples that he must be killed. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Matthew chapter 16 verse 21. The death of Jesus Christ is a most important part of the gospel that Christ commanded his di disciples to preach throughout the entire world. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 3 and 4. The wonderful results of the atonement of Christ. Number one, the atonement brings infinite happiness to the triune God. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit receive great glory due to Christ's atonement on the cross. Millions of souls are delivered from the punishment of eternal damnation in hell. There are some ministries that teach that hell is not eternal damnation and that you are annihilated. This is false. We will have a teaching message next in the next coming weeks on false doctrines and false uh, beliefs about hell. The atonement bestows eternal life to the penitent sinner. The atonement of Christ brings eternal peace and happiness unto every sinner who receives Christ as Savior. When a person repents of sin, and believes in Christ, he receives the forgiveness of all his sins due to Christ's atonement on the cross.
Through the atonement of Christ, a great number of the human race are saved from eternal suffering. Faith. Faith is one of the fundamental doctrines of the gospel of Christ. The Bible teaches, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, for that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6 The scriptures also teach we are saved not by our own works, but through faith in Jesus Christ. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Ephesians chapter 2.8 No matter how many good works we may perform, we cannot be saved on the basis of any of these works. The majority of people today believe they will be justified before God by their own good deeds. All the religions of this world, apart from the faith of Jesus Christ, base salvation upon good works. The Bible teaches the very opposite. We believe we are saved by faith, and good works are the fruits of our faith. Faith is the, of the utmost importance because man's eternal destiny depends upon whether or not he has faith. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John chapter 3, verse 16. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John chapter 3, verse 36. Faith is a gift from God. Both faith and unbelief are directly connected with our will. The man who has faith in God and the record he gave us concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, is accounted righteous by God. On the other hand, unbelief is not merely ignorance ignorance of God and his word, but it is a disobedient state of the heart in turning away from God and his word. Many people try to cover up their heart of unbelief by outward good works. For example, a certain rich lady was the owner of a famous Kisayang house in Seoul, Korea. A Kisayang house is a place where people spend their money on wine, women, and song. Shortly before her death, she willed her entire fortune, valued at three quarters of a million dollars, to an educational foundation. The Kisayang house owner confessed, Wealth is something I cannot be proud of because unjust means were involved in making the wealth. Stricken with a terminal disease, this woman knew death was at hand. She tried to atone for all her sins by giving her ill-gotten wealth to a good cause. But the Bible declares that works works cannot save. Salvation is based on God's grace alone, for by grace are ye saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Jesus Christ provided the atonement for sinners by his death on the cross. We can only be saved by faith in Christ's blood. What is faith? Faith is that confidence in God which causes a man to love and obey God, to confide and obey his word as revealed in the scriptures. Faith must spring from the heart. An example of faith is the relationship of children and parents. Children trust their parents. This is a trust that springs from their heart. They believe their parents love them and they respond to that love by believing whatever their parents tell them. This is the simple faith of a child. True saving faith is a childlike confidence in God and his word. God is worthy of our confidence and trust since he is infinitely perfect in wisdom and love. The difference between heart faith and intellectual faith. It is most important to distinguish between a faith which springs from the heart and intellectual faith. True faith springs from the heart and produces the fruit of a righteous life. 
For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Romans chapter 10 verse 10. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Matthew seven sixteen to 18. If there is no fruit of righteousness in a person's life, it is a sure sign the individual does not have true heart faith. Heart faith may also be called saving faith. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Romans ten ten. Heart faith implies an assent of the mind to the truth of the scriptures. Also, also, heart faith implies trusting God, his character, and his declarations. Heart faith involves complete dependence upon Jesus Christ for salvation and a surrender of the will to him for guidance. Let's say that again. Heart faith involves complete dependence upon Jesus Christ for salvation and a surrender of the will to him for guidance. On the other hand, intellectual faith is merely an understanding of the existence of God and the doctrines of the Bible. It is not a full surrender of the heart to God, nor is it a dependence upon Jesus Christ and his merits for salvation. Intellectual faith is not saving or justifying faith. It basically is the same as believing in the existence of the sun or the moon or some famous man of history, intellectual faith is, a, is sometimes called historical or speculative faith, a faith that is a mere opinion and that produces no spiritual fruit. Intellectual faith is an involuntary state of the mind. There is no moral goodness or virtue involved in intellectual faith. There is no surrender of the heart to God or Christ involved in intellectual faith. It is only an individual's idea regarding a certain subject or person. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? James chapter 2, verse 19 to 20. Demons have intellectual faith. They believe that there is one true God, and this belief is true. But demons do not have heart faith. They do not put their trust in God and his word. It is necessary for a person to have faith in God and in Jesus Christ, that springs from the heart in order to be saved. There are many examples in the scriptures of men and women who possess saving faith in the scriptures. Abel was a man of heart faith. In obedience to God, he offered the first slings of his flock as a sacrifice. The Bible says the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Genesis chapter 4 verse 4. Noah is an example of a person who has saving faith. When God looked upon the earth and saw it Filled with violence and corruption, he commanded Noah to build an ark. Noah obeyed God and built a great ark in order to save his family and thus preserve the life of the human race upon the earth. Noah's heart faith was manifested by his willing obedience to God. Think of the great value of heart faith. Suppose Noah refused to obey God and did not build the ark. Not only would Noah and his family have perished in the flood, but the human race would have ceased to exist. We would not be alive today. Abraham is another example of a man with heart faith. God promised to Abraham that through his seed, the entire world will be blessed. This was a prophetic promise of the coming Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham believed God's word to be true, and as an old man, he fathered Isaac. Then God commanded Abraham to take his son Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice. Without doubting God's word, Abraham simply believed God to be faithful and believed his word. 
He was willing to offer his only son in death as a sacrifice. However, at the last minute, God intervened and sent the angel, his angel to Abraham. The angel said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Genesis chapter 22, verse 12. Because of his heart, faith in God, Abraham became the spiritual father of many nations. True saving faith involves faith in Christ's atonement. The great faith of Abel, Noah, and Abraham, though they lived before Christ was born, was directly related to Christ's atonement on the cross. Why did Abel offer a sacrifice from among his flock of sheep? The reason lies in the fact that Abel was looking ahead to Jesus, the coming Messiah, who offered his own blood on the cross for the sins of mankind. The same is true of Noah. The first act Noah performed after descending from the ark was to build an altar and offer sacrifices of clean animals unto God. The sacrifices manifested Noah's saving faith in God and in the coming Messiah who would be the savior of the world. Abraham believed God to the extent that he was willing to offer up his only son, Isaac. God promised Abraham that through Isaac, the entire world would be blessed. This great promise of blessing to the world was a prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus, who was the seed of Abraham and Isaac. When God commanded Abraham to offer up Isaac, his only son, as a sacrifice, Abraham did not doubt the goodness of God. And he asked no questions, for he trusted in the power of God to raise his son Isaac from the dead. He believed that God could raise his son back to life again. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence he also he received him in a figure. Hebrews eleven seventeen and 19. Abraham's saving faith is a type of the faith of all believers who trust in the blood of Jesus Christ as an atonement for their sins and in God the Father who raised Jesus Christ from the dead on the third day. Even though Christ was not yet born, these Old Testament saints had saving faith in the coming Messiah. True faith in God involves faith in the atonement of Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind. Apart from faith in the atonement of Jesus Christ, no person can be saved. Saving faith believes the record that God has given to us concerning his son and his death on the cross for our sins. Saints in both the Old Testament and the New Testament put their trust in Jesus Christ and his atonement for their sins. The confidence of Old Testament saints was revealed in their offering animal sacrifices, which were a type of the coming Redeemer. The faith of New Testament saints is a direct faith in the Savior who appeared in the fullness of time, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven. An important question to consider is, can a man be saved by only believing in God without believing in Jesus Christ and in his atonement for our sins? No, it is impossible for anyone to be saved who does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and his atonement for our sins. There are religions that teach faith in God, but reject the deity of Christ or that Christ is God and his atonement on the cross for the sins of mankind. Any religion or doctrine that rejects the deity of Christ and his atonement is false. No one can be saved who denies the deity and the blood of Christ. God has given a record to the human race and commands all men without exception to believe this record. 
God's record concerns his son and his death on the cross for our sins. When Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, there came a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Matthew chapter 3 verse 17. At the time of Christ's transfiguration, God the Father spoke from a bright cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. We are under infinite responsibility to believe in Jesus Christ, who came into this world for the purpose of dying for our sins on the cross. The Apostle Paul declared, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. 1 Timothy 1.15 The man who says he believes in God but denies the deity of an atoning death of Christ really does not believe in God for to believe in God involves believing the revelation God has given to us. The person who denies the deity of Christ and rejects the doctrine of Christ's atonement on the cross for our sins makes God to be a liar and is therefore guilty of an infinite sin. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15.3 note, note the words, first of all. Paul meant the death of Jesus Christ as the first principle of the Gospel. True saving faith centers on the atonement of Christ. What does true saving faith imply? Saving faith implies a repentance of all known sin. No one can have faith in God and confidence in God's atonement to cover his sins if he continues in a life of sin and selfishness. It is naturally impossible for a man to have true faith and at the same time hold on to sin in his life. True saving faith implies humility of heart. Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew eighteen three and 4. Saving faith implies no confidence in works to obtain salvation. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Titus 3, 5. If our own works were a part of salvation, there would be no room for boasting. But salvation is based on the atonement of Christ alone. Hence there is no room for boasting or pride. When is a person justified by faith? The moment a person believes on Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, he is justified, declared righteous in the sight of God. The Philippian jailer cried out, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas replied, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. The moment the jailer of Philippi put his faith in Christ as his Savior, he was saved. This is true of every person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are justified by God, not at the time of death or when we get to heaven, but at the moment we exercise faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins of, of sin. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. Deliverance from the power of darkness, translation into Christ's kingdom and forgiveness of sin all take place the very moment we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. John chapter 5, verse 24. We pass from death unto life and possess every everlasting life the very moment we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord.
How can a person know he has true saving faith? Number one, peace of mind. When a person exercises true faith in Christ and his atoning blood, there will be a consciousness in his heart that he is at peace with God. True faith will produce a state of peacefulness and rest within the soul. Our conscience will not convict us of sin because we are no longer at war with God, nor in a state of disobedience to his word. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 The Witness of, our, of the Spirit when we trust Jesus Christ, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are justified. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Romans eight sixteen. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. True faith in Jesus Christ will produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We must ask ourselves if we have the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23. The Holy Spirit will kindle with us, within us the heart of great love and confidence toward God and Christ. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Romans chapter 5 verse 5. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Romans 8.15 The word Abba is the Aramaic word for Father. True saving faith produces a spirit of strong love and confidence in God, similar to the trust a child holds towards his own parents. Is this spirit of confidence and love toward God in your heart? If it is not, I encourage you to replay this lesson and pray to the Lord in repentance and faith for what he has accomplished for you by dying on the cross for you to save you from your sin and hell. This is getting to the end of today's podcast and I would like to encourage you to tune in next week. We are going to continue with the fundamentals of our faith in God and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and sanctification next week and whatever else the Lord lays upon my heart to share. I also wanted to let you know about a prayer organizer that I received off of someone was selling it on Facebook Marketplace and it is amazing. I love this. It is the prayer organizer and the website to get it is, let me see www.prayerorganizer.com and it comes in like a five and a half by eight and a half binder. My binder is blue and I really, blue is my favorite color and I really like it and it has different prayers for each day. So Sunday, Monday, today is Thursday. So just to give you an example, it is not King James Version only, which is what I read, but um, I go to my King James Bible and look up the verses so I can get the more accurate, the most accurate, accurate translation in the English um, language for today. So today's um, one is neither hot nor cold. And um, it's talking about Revelation chapter 3 verses 15 and 16. It's talking about that. Look that up in your Bible. And then it's talking about different ideas to pray. 
and it's talking to, and it has a picture of a faucet. And also there's Memlock, M-E-M-L-O-K, scripture cards, which I would encourage you to get and record on your phone scripture in your phone recorder or on a, it's an app called Vocaroo. It's a website called Vocaroo where you can record yourself for free and you could download it as an mp3 and listen to yourself recite scripture because in these last days we must 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 start memorizing scriptures because if there's ever a time that our bibles are all the more precious it's now when the world is getting darker and darker by the minute not the hour but by the minute so this is talking about giving us this booklet, this book, the prayer organizer is called Making a Difference Through Personal Prayer. And it has pockets in it so that you can put prayer when people ask you to pray for things. And it has um, different ideas for the day. Then it has special requests. It has something about actions and distractions. And it even has like a miscellaneous section. And it's talking about God hears your prayers wherever you are at any time day or night he hears you in times of happiness and tragedy your prayers may or not may or may not be answered as prayed for some prayers may be answered immediately some in the future and some may never be answered in your lifetime but god answers in his perfect time and often answer often answers above and beyond all you can ask or think and i think that the earliest thing the worst thing that we can do is not pray and i realized that i had um, a struggle with prayer until my pastor Aaron Brummett from Repentance Cry Ministry stated that we need to be organized in our prayer so that we can indeed spend that sweet hour of prayer like we sing about but seldom do. So let us strive for that. Also, um, I was listening to a ministry on Bot Radio and they were talking about how to get more into the Word of God and it's, it's talking about reading Proverbs to match the date of the day. And then reading five Psalms a day. There are so many useless things that we read every day that really are not going to benefit our souls, that don't feed our souls like we feed our bodies. And we need to be in God's word, in it, in it, in it. It has to be in us so that we can share with other people. 150,000 people are dying today and they are going to eternal hell and we need to be telling people. So I encourage you. Get some tracks. If you don't know where to get them from, write me um, through that email address, Precious Pearls Ministries Radio at rcrnetwork.com. I look forward to um, talking with you next week. Please send any donations that you would like to share to this ministry to keep us on the air to us. There's a way that you can donate as well. And I truly appreciate you. God bless you. I love you all. Just Keep trusting in Christ no matter what, no matter what happens. He is greater than our circumstances. He is greater than everything. He loves us tremendously beyond all that we could ever acknowledge or understand. God bless you and keep looking up. Take care of yourselves. Talk to you next week.